0: I would say the gift that you've been given of eternal life, the gift that you've been given of a relationship with God, I think it demands of you that you seek to make disciples. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. You may not realize this, but for the last four weeks, uh, we've had an unofficial, an unofficial discipleship theme for the last four weeks. Four weeks ago, we began with a a biography of uh, David and Sevilla Flood, if you'll remember that, uh, how they will Sweden Sweden went to uh, the DRC, what's today the DRC, and uh, invested their lives there in making disciples of Jesus. And I followed that the, the next week by talking about those first four disciples of Jesus and uh, and their calling and how God... Um, said to them, "I want you to be involved in fishing for men." And then last week we had two disciples who have invested their lives in building bridges to a country far away, uh, to a people group very different from their own. And if you were here last week, I, I hope you were blessed by that. I really hope that you'll add them to the folks that you pray for consistently and regularly. In fact, I would be—I think it'd be really neat if some of us, you know, took them on, began to support them financially. As that's, how, uh, that's how they're supported. This morning I, uh, I want to continue with that unofficial theme and I want to talk about making disciples and maybe more specifically I want to talk about the first part in the process of making disciples. You may not realize this but disciple making is a process. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end, okay? And The beginning is when a person says, I want to follow Jesus. That is the beginning of the discipleship process. Somebody says, I, I will follow Jesus. The middle of the process is us growing into conformity of Jesus, being like Jesus, acting like Him, and, and behaving like Him, and thinking like Him, and responding like Him. That's the middle process of growing as a follower of Jesus. The process of discipleship is when we are fully conformed into the image of Jesus. We're transformed and we're like Jesus, our King. And so an early Christian leader, Paul, this is what he writes to a church in Ephesus. He says, and Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints, that would be all of us, for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Here it is. <clears throat> Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so the, the end goal of being a disciple of Jesus is that we are We're transformed into the fullness of Jesus. We're we're just like the Lord Jesus. He ends this, verse 15, by saying, Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, the Messiah, that is the Lord Jesus. So that's the goal. And regrettably, regrettably, we're not going to achieve that goal until we meet Jesus face to face. Now, we will meet him face to face. And But until that point, and when we do, we'll be, we'll be transformed fully into His image. Um, but we don't arrive this side of that. Here's what John wrote to some of his friends. He said, Dear friends, we are God's children now. Yet it's been revealed. We know that when Jesus appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So there's this sense that when Jesus comes again and we get to meet Him face to face, there's going to be this transformation that takes place, and we're going to be made like Him. But until then, we press on. We press on to be conformed to Jesus, to be like, to be changed into His likeness. So, disciples. Throughout our life, following Jesus and growing and being like Him, and it ends when we're fully conformed into uh, His image. But even as I am to grow as a disciple, one of the things the Bible says is that I am to be helping make disciples along the way. Jesus. Um, gave this commission at the very end of uh, his ministry, right before he returns to heaven. He said, therefore, as you go, as you're going through life, make disciples, baptize them and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And there's really two parts to that disciple making. He says, number one is uh, he says, help people begin to follow me. That's where baptism comes in. When we baptize people, we're, we're baptizing them and we're, we're affirming with that baptism that this is now someone who says, I want to follow Jesus. But the second thing or the second part of disciple making is that we need to teach them to live like Jesus wanted us uh, to live. There comes a time where every disciple doesn't really need someone else to teach them. They, they've grown to a place where they're feeding themselves, if you would, on their relationship with Jesus. And they're growing in their relationship with Jesus. And they don't need necessarily anyone else. You know, and I think people, when they begin to follow Jesus, and I, I know it's not a one-on-one comparison, but when people begin to follow Jesus, it's much the same way. They are absolutely dependent on us. I mean, we need to come around them like we would a newborn and help them grow spiritually and become conformed to the image of Jesus. But then, at some point, that disciple is going to be a disciple of Jesus, and they're not going to necessarily need, you know, they just need the Spirit in Jesus. Does that make sense? I think I'm right in this. We're always going to need each other, but you know what I'm saying, right? They, they, they're now following Jesus on, on their own. And, and so our responsibility is, I, I think, to help make disciples by teaching them what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now you might ask the question, are we all responsible for that? Or, or just certain people, or, or every one of you in this room, are you responsible to make disciples? Or is it just for people like me who's a vocational pastor? Or, or one of our elders, some of our elders? We, we, we know it's our pastor elders because it says so. We're, we're, our job is to help train everyone. So it at least falls there. But, but is it everybody's responsibility or just for certain gifted people? I mean, I think that's a legitimate question. And if you, go to the, if you go to the commission at the end of Jesus' life, or at the end of his ministry before he returns to heaven, he delivers that to the apostles. Now, I think there's a sense in which the group is bigger than just the apostles. That includes many other disciples. But really, is that just for them, or is that for all of us? In one of his parables, Jesus says this, To whoever, uh, To everyone <clears throat> to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him all the more. That's Luke chapter 12. In the Old Testament, there's a story of four lepers. You remember this story? They're dying. I mean, you know, they're outside the walls. they got leprosy. And, and they say, hey, we're dying anyway. Let's go, let's go to the enemy and see if they'll feed us, right? And they go there. And when they get there, they find that, that God has routed the enemy. That everything is there, all kinds of food. There's no food back in, in Jerusalem. And so they just gorge themselves for a little bit. And then they make this statement. They say, you know, what we're doing here is not right. Today is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until morning light, our punishment will catch up with us. So let us go and tell the king's household. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. If for no other reason, let's just say there's not an explicit command that says every disciple is to be making disciples. And that was just for the apostles. Here's what I want to say to you. Even if that were true, I would say the gift that you've been given of eternal life, the gift that you've been given of a relationship with God, I think it demands of you that you seek to make disciples. You see what I'm I'm doing? I'm I'm trying to answer the question. If people say, well, that's just for the disciples. That's just for the apostles. Just for a few pastors or gifted people. I'm saying, no, I, I think what's been entrusted to you, every one of you in this room who follows Jesus, it demands of you that you also be a disciple maker, that you take this good news that's transformed your life and you share it with others. So here's what I want to do with the rest of my time this morning with you. I want to, I want to share with you how it is that you and I move to a place where we begin to help people follow Jesus. Okay. Where we begin to help make disciples. And I'm going to offer you four helps this morning. This is a topical message. I want to offer you four helps this morning for uh, challenges from my heart to yours. And, and I hope, and I, I hope that they will help you. And I hope that they will convict you. And I hope that they will move you. So, everybody understand what I'm going to do now? I've tried to establish that all of you are responsible to make disciples. And discipleship's a process. It begins with leading people to Jesus and then teaching them. And, and then as they grow up, they'll eventually be conformed to the image of Jesus. But in this period, at some point, all of you need to become disciple makers of others. So here are my four helps. Here's the first one. If you're going to become a disciple maker, if you want to be, if, if if there's any thought in your head about becoming someone who is going to help make disciples, here's, here's what has to happen first. You have to make a decision. You have to make a commitment to be a disciple-maker. Almost everything in our life, I believe, begins with a point of decision. It begins with a point of deciding, I will do something. And if we're going to help make disciples, I think it begins when we decide that I'm going to do it. I'm going to help make disciples. It's just not going to happen by accident. In fact, everything I've said this morning up till now and everything I am going to say today is is in a hope on my part to persuade all of us here to be disciple makers, to to move us from a place of complacency to a place of of active commitment and active involvement in making disciples. Uh, Each of us is, in my opinion anyway, each of us is an autonomously free creature. Meaning that we ourselves make free decisions in our life. We're responsible to make decisions of who we are and who we'll be and what we'll do. Now, that doesn't mean that our decisions aren't heavily, heavily influenced and affected by all sorts of things. I mean, it's not like we make decisions in a vacuum. Our desires, it's kind of like Kent was saying about his desire to quit uh, that stuff in your lip. We call it dipping. You know, uh, our desires play a big part in decisions that we make, right? Our experiences, our addictions play a big part in in, in these, these desires that we make. Our understanding of what's true and what's real, these affect our decisions. But whatever decision we make, I believe that we are capable of making a free decision. And I believe that I'm capable, if I make this decision, I believe that I was also at the same moment capable of not necessarily making that one. I could have made this decision. Now, you all might think that's just obvious, right? But there's a lot of people who don't think that's true. Atheistic evolutionary men are often determinists, believing that that you are a material being, that's all you are. And you're made up of chemicals, And you, you know, when you make a decision, it's really just the chemicals in your brain acting a certain way. And when you make X decision, you are determined by the chemicals in your brain and you could not have made any other decision than the one that you just made. I I disagree with that. And here's my point. See, I, I want you to understand this. Okay, if you're going to be involved in making disciples and helping people follow Jesus, you need to make you, you like big Y, big O, big U, you need to make a decision that you're going to be involved in this endeavor of making this. You are responsible and, uh, and, and not, not God, not chemicals in your body. You are dis- responsible, responsible. And, and I want to encourage you today, make a decision. I'm going to be a disciple maker as a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to be a disciple maker. Number two, here's my second help for you. After you've made this decision, then pray, all right? Pray. Here's my second help. Focus yourself on prayer. Now, I've told all of you over the years, I mean, there's a lot about prayer I don't understand, but I believe this about prayer. God hears my prayers and God is moved by my prayers. And by that I don't mean that God, God's like my little genie in a lamp and i have just, just rubbing right in prayer and he's going to give me whatever I'm asking for. That's not what I'm saying to you. But I am saying to you that God hears my prayers and that God is moved by my prayers. And at times I don't have because I don't ask. Those are his words. I don't have because I don't ask. So I believe God is often moved by my prayers. So here's two things that I want you to pray. Number one... Pray that God would help you be a good fisher of men. Pray that God would help you be a good disciple maker. Begin to pray that and begin to ask him in prayer to teach you and to train you and to help you. Some of you in this room go see a trainer. You go see a physical trainer. And you go because you want them to help you be healthier and you want them to help you gain strength. And so you go to this trainer to train you. I'm telling you, go to the spirit, go to God and say, God, help me with this. I want to grow in this. I want to become a disciple maker and get and begin to ask God to train you to fish for men. And number two, begin to pray for people far from God. I'm going to talk more about this uh, after the new year. okay? but but just begin to pray that God would be at work in people's lives to draw them and to woo them and, and to not give them over to the hardness of their hearts. And um, so let, let me share, you, share with you why you should pray this specifically. I want to give you three reasons. Number one is because God's heart for them. God has a heart for people far from him. You know, um, I mean, it means the world to me. It really does, and it probably does to you. When somebody picks up something, a cause that I care about or something that's important to me, if somebody picks that up and, and pulls alongside me to help me in what I think is important, I mean, it just means the world to me that that person has done that. How much more do you think it might mean to God if we as his kids, as his disciples, pull alongside him and what's important to him becomes important to us? And here's what I want to tell you. What's important to him is people becoming followers of Jesus, people coming into his kingdom, people being a part of his family. You know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. And the verse after, that's really familiar, but the verse after, not so much, but for God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, God was motivated to send Jesus because he loves us and he wanted to save us. That's important to God. Remember the parables Jesus told about the one sheep that got lost, right? Remember that? And when the shepherd goes out and finds it, what happens? He says, man, there is more joy in heaven over the one sheep that was lost that's found than over the 99 that are in the room and in the pen and just just being comfy and good. I mean, God cares about people far from him. And so when we care about that, when we care about that, it means that's why you should be praying for people far from God, because God cares about them. Here's another reason you should pray for people far from God. That's what Paul prayed. And again, I'm, I'm not saying Paul got everything right, but I mean, I'm telling you, the man, he prayed... For people, here's his example in Romans 10, 9, 10, 1. It says, "Brothers, he says, my heart's desire and prayer is to God for the Israelites that they might be saved." So he's praying for these people who've rejected Jesus to be saved. In Romans nine, the previous chapter, he says this. He says, "I, man, I pray for them, and and I want them so much to be saved. I would even forfeit my own life. My, he doesn't say life." I mean, it sounds like he might be saying, man, I'm, I'd forfeit my own eternity for, for my brothers. That's how much he prayed for people far from God. I think we should imitate him. And the third reason we should pray for people who are far from God is because of their condition. You know, in Romans chapter 1, it talks about people suppressing the truth. You know, maybe some of us for the longest time suppressed the truth about God. Or, or you know, maybe we didn't. And that's why we're here, because we didn't suppress that truth, and we put our faith in God and put our faith in Jesus. But there's people that have suppressed the truth, and they keep suppressing the truth. And man, I know one person right now that's dear to me. He's suppressing the truth and suppressing the truth. But you know what? He's suppressed the truth so much, I think God's given him over to the hardness of his heart. That's what it says in Romans 1 says that after they've suppressed the truth, it says God gives them over. And I'm not sure exactly what, exa- what that means, but I think it means this. If God gives you over, I mean, your heart is now, you're free, you're free, but your heart is so hard that it'll never turn back to God, Right? And so I think we should pray for the lost because of their condition, because so often God gives them over. And when he gives them over, here's what the Bible says, when God gives people over to, their, to the hardness of the heart, the enemy has a field day with them. The adversary, the enemy of their soul, this has his way with them. So in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says he blinds them. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ is in the image of God. Now, some people would say, that's true of every unbeliever. I I don't think so. I personally think it's talking about people like this who have hardened their heart. He can captivate them. Here's another place Paul says to, to Timothy, he says, we should pray that unbelievers might escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So, you know, when God gives people over, Satan has a field day with them and we should pray for them. And we should pray for them that God might have mercy on them and maybe just relent in giving them over. So... So I would encourage you, you know, to pray for people far from God. And maybe you have a loved one that you've been trying to lead to Jesus forever. And you've noticed they just become harder and harder and harder. Here's what I would say, man. Pray for God to have mercy and for God to not give them over. But instead for God to be still at work in their life. Still bring conviction of the Spirit. Still still bring... Things to their mind that might remind them of, of maybe once where they were or maybe it might even make them think about their eternal destiny and all that God has for them. So pray, pray, pray. How, how do you become a disciple maker? It begins because you say, I want to be a part of this. I want to make disciples. I don't just want to be a disciple who's like the four lepers who goes out to the place where God's defeated the enemy and they just gorge themselves on all that's good and they keep it to themselves. I mean, you can be that kind of disciple, or you can be the disciple who goes and takes the good news that you've received that's changed your life, and you can share it with others. And so make a decision to be involved in that, and then pray, ask God to help you, and then ask God to be at work and people around you, so that when you speak to them and you talk to them, God's already been at work by His Spirit in their hearts. Here's the third help I offer you. And it would be this, you know, and... Press on with preparation. Having decided to be a disciple maker, having been a man of a woman of prayer about that, now press on with preparation. And beloved, if there's I guess if there's a heart to what I want to say this morning, it's this point right here. This is gonna be my main point. And it is press on to preparation. To be a disciple maker, equip yourself, train yourself, or allow God to train you. Allow other disciples to train you to be a fisher for men. And um, and I think that's where we. I think that's where we have to be. We have to be at a place where we're willing to say, "I want to learn," and I'm willing to be trained to be a disciple maker. And I think if we're honest, if we're honest when it comes to this first part about making disciples, that is telling people about Jesus, trying to help them come to a place where they'll begin to follow him. If we're honest, that, that's probably the hardest part of making a disciple, isn't it? Because we don't know what to say. We don't know exactly what to say. And we don't know how to begin. So over the last 80 years in evangelicalism, that's what we are. We're evangelicals. We believe the Bible to be true. We, we believe Jesus died and rose again for us. Okay, And so, over the last eight, 80 years, Christian leaders have been trying to help disciples like you and me learn how they can share Jesus with others in a way that's compelling and in a way that that helps, helps people think through these issues. I remember I was first trained in a thing called CWT. Some of you older folks might remember it. It's called Christian uh, continuous witness training. I was trained with CWT. And then I was trained with the four spiritual laws. I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, and they they taught us using a little track called the Four Spiritual Laws. I taught a bunch of you guys how to use that too. Then I was trained in EE e., Evangelism Explosion, which is a just I mean they got a thing they got a thing for everything in EE. E. And then I was trained in faith. And I used to think the best way to train all of all of us was to just man give us as many tools as I could, give us as many I mean, teach you as many tools. As I could, you know, or as we could learn. I don't think that anymore. Uh, I don't think that's the best approach. When, when I share, I mean, when I share Jesus with people, I use a hodgepodge of all the things that I've learned, you know, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Billy, I was thinking about the night I came to your house and shared with you. And I don't remember what, what I said exactly or what I used in sharing with you, but I do remember this. I didn't, I didn't use the four spiritual laws. I just sat across the room, and I shared Jesus with you. And then after we had talked about Jesus and you had to go to work, I got up and walked across the, the, the room, pulled out a four spiritual laws out of my pocket, and I said, hey, Billy, at work tonight, here's what we've been talking about. And I shared that with him, and, and of course, the rest is history. And he began to follow Jesus even that, even that night. I've changed my mind. I think what we need to do to help us become disciple makers, and so listen, this is, uh, is going to be really important for all of you, or for most of us anyway. I think you should choose one way of sharing the good news of Jesus. And you should be comfortable with it, and then you should train yourself with it, and then, and then, then learn it good. Learn it good. Learn how to share it really, really good. Actually, I want to challenge us today to practice whatever method you choose, to practice it over and over and over again until you're really good at talking about the good news of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something that impacted me in the last month. Okay, this is in the last month. For over 20 years, I looked it up, Tom Brady was the quarterback for um, the Patriots. And of course, we all know that he's considered the greatest of all time, right? The goat, I just learned this, so maybe you don't know it, but you know what a goat is? It's the greatest of all time, right? Goat. And, and, he, and everybody says he's the goat, and he probably is. Uh, but, but here's the thing that impacted me. So for 20 years on Sundays, let's just say Sundays, he goes out and plays against another team. But did you know during, during season for 20 years, three to four days a week, he's out on the field with his own team practicing for the moment that he's going to play the game on Sunday. I mean, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all teams. He does this every week. Why does he have to practice three or four days a week? Because when the moment comes for the game, he wants to be as prepared and equipped as he can. And uh, and I'm telling you, I, I heard a brother say, if if men can do that to move a pig-skinned ball down the field, why can't we devote ourselves to training ourselves to share our faith in a way that is compelling and, and helpful and clear. Why, why don't we practice at sharing our faith? Well, I, I can tell you why we don't practice. And some of you are probably already saying it in your minds. Well, it's awkward. It's really awkward to practice all the time with, with people in the church that are your brothers and sisters. It's awkward. It's strange. It doesn't feel natural and here's here's here 's the biggie. I want it to just feel just kind of you know i just I, I don't want it to be canned. I want it to be just like real from my heart right well here's here's my challenge hear me out clear clear hear me clearly here I, i'm not saying that you learn a canned approach to sharing your faith I, i'm not trying to advocate that you that you just go in automatic mode and you you share Jesus from this canned approach i'm not ta- i'm not suggesting that but I, what i am suggesting is that you and i f- find a way that we're comfortable beginning to talk to someone about Je- about Jesus and then a way that we're comfortable in doing that and and when we're when we've practiced and when we've trained ourselves and when we become really good at being able to talk about Jesus and the good news then we're going to be able to help make disciples because we're going to begin to talk about Jesus. Experts say that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at anything. 10,000 hours, you know? Um, So I've just repented of the idea that I don't need to practice. I've repented of the idea that I just need to wait for that moment at some point uh, and and talk uh, talk about Jesus because like so many of you, and I, I think this is true. So many of you would say, I don't know exactly what to say. I don't know exactly what. I can tell them that I follow Jesus, but I can invite them to church, right? That's what we do, isn't it? We basically invite people to church. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if you're here as a guest, I'm really glad you're here this morning. But, but uh, Jesus wants us to make disciples. And it's, and, you know, inviting them to come to church is a good support, but it's not you sharing Jesus with them. And uh, so today, I want to share with you. I want to show you, I want to introduce you to the way that I have now decided this is how I'm going to, this is how I'm going to learn to share my faith. This is how I'm going to share my faith. And uh, it's really easy to learn. It's, It's, I think, easy for people to understand. And I think it's really easy to get into conversations with people using this. Now I've mentioned to the elders that I, that I believe we ought to have a means or a way that we train each other in our family to to share Jesus, so as to help make disciples. Um, and uh, and whatever that way is, that we ought to be training one another in our church. And then we ought to practice. We ought to practice on each other. We ought to be willing to practice on each other. Say, hey, man, I haven't practiced in a while. Can I practice sharing my faith on you today? You know, that kind of thing. I see some laughing because I've practiced on them. But um, and I know some, immediate, some of you folks are going to say this right away. I already have a way that I share Jesus. By all means, I'm not asking you to change. I mean, however you share Jesus, you continue to share Jesus. If you're comfortable sharing Jesus some way, please continue. to. I'm not saying change your way. I am not saying that at all. Some of you might be saying things like, and I already mentioned this, I don't like sharing like that. It's too mechanical. Or after I show it to you, you might say, well, that's too short, or that's too long, or whatever. You know, and I would say to you, that's absolutely fine. Do do whatever. But uh, remember, the whole goal here is to help us become disciple makers. And I've said it begins with deciding to be one. It continues with prayer. And then it continues with equipping myself and training myself to share my faith. All right. You all remember the story about D.L. Moody? The lady come up to D.L. Moody and she said, man, I cannot stand the way you share your faith. And he goes, really? Well, man, I, I understand. I mean, it's just not for anyone, everyone. He says, how, how do you share your faith? And she goes, well, I don't. And he says, well, I like the way I share better than the way you don't. Right. So uh, I, I think that's true, guys. Listen, it's, it's, it's I don't I don't want you to, to change what you're doing. But if you're not doing anything to share Jesus with others. May, may I just encourage you to consider what I'm going to show you. It's, I'm introducing you to some. I'm not teaching you. I'm not really training you. I'm introducing you to, to something uh, today. So Kent, would you come on up? Kent's going to help me with this. Uh, and I, I have found this extremely helpful, so hopefully you will too. So Kent is my work buddy. We work down at the nuclear plant together. And uh, he's just been telling me that his sister and brother-in-law are... Uh, Maybe getting a divorce. They're separated. And uh, he's brokenhearted over that because uh, he loves them both. And he doesn't really know what to do. And, and we're, we're acquaintance friends. We don't know each other all that well. Uh, but he's been, tell- he's been sharing with me at lunch about this. And so I'm going to pick up the story at that point and, and, and talk to him. Uh, one more thing before I begin. On your bulletin, if you care to, the back page is left blank. And that is so that you can uh, if you want to, you can write down what I'm about to write down so that you so you can have a copy of it what i'm going to write here and share with uh, uh, with Kent is going to be over there on that TV screen okay so this is this is how I would uh, just share with Kent. One more thing as we begin, and I, I'm going to start by saying to Kent uh, something along the lines that this is what I have come to find helpful so there's not going to be anything he can argue with. I mean, I'm not going to tell him this is what he has to do. And I'm going to tell him this is what I have found helpful when I face situations like this. And uh, so it makes it very, very simple. And you follow along. So here we go. So Kent, man, I'm really sorry uh, to hear that. You know, I've never, um, I've, I don't have divorces in my, none of my brother, my brother, well, I only have one brother that's married, but he's not divorced. and my kids I haven't really experienced that personally but I have experienced other things like that that just kind of lead to you know brokenness in my life can I share with you uh, Kent what uh, what I've found helpful and what's uh, what really kind of changed my life can I share that with you would you be sure okay so so Kent here here's what I've come to discover man is that that God that God has a perfect design for our lives uh, God's God's got a perfect. It's not writing as good, Michael. I don't know if I've done something wrong. Well. God's got a perfect design, okay. And when so when God created us, man, He had a, He had a design for our marriages. He had a design for our relationships with our friends. He had a design for for everything, and it was perfect. And God's design and God's design led to flourishing, and it was a place of blessing. But here's what happened, Kent. All of us have a have gotten away from God's design. You know, the Bible The Bible has a word for getting away from God's design, and it's the word sin. You may have heard that word before. I didn't ask you this, man. Did you, did, uh, have you gone to church much in your life? Oh, very little. Very little, okay. So if I say something you don't understand, just, just ask me, okay? But anyway, the Bible calls getting away from God's design, calls it sin. And here's something else the Bible says, the Bible says that all of us have done that. All of us have gotten away from God's design. And here's what happens when we get away from God's design. It leads to a place of brokenness. It leads to a place of brokenness and you know, so that's kind of what your uh, your uh, sister and brother are going through right now, man. They They're experiencing brokenness in their life, and you're experiencing that brokenness. And brokenness, you know, brokenness shows itself in so many ways, but also brokenness is a way we feel, right? It's, uh, you know, brokenness can, in our lives, we feel like shame maybe, or guilt, or or loneliness, or sadness and sorrow because of this broken relationship. You know, and, and Kent, when we're in this place of brokenness, it doesn't feel good. Nobody wants to be broken, right? But we see it all around us. You know the ultimate brokenness in our lives, Ken, is going to be this. The ultimate brokenness, getting away from God's design, is death, right? When we get away from God's design... And uh, and all of us have done this. The ultimate brokenness in our life is death, and we don't we don't like this. We try to get away from brokenness. So we do all kinds of things, and we think, well, this new this new relationship, right? Well, that'll get me out of brokenness. I won't feel broken more if I have this new. If I if I get more money, you know, money is a big one, or a new thing like a new car or a new house, right? If I just get that new house, man, I I won't feel broken anymore. And and a lot of times, a lot of people do this, Kent. Too man is they'll they'll use drugs. They'll use drugs like alcohol, to to get out of their brokenness. And um, you know what? What always happens here? These things might like a new relationship might help for a little bit, right? Like your brother and sister, uh, or sister and brother-in-law, right? They um, they might they'll get out of this relationship. They find a new relationship, and it'll feel good for a bit. But man. You know what will happen? They'll still end up feeling those feelings of brokenness, that shame, that guilt, and uh, no matter how we try, we just we just we just keep coming back to this all the time, right? And, uh, and so what that tells us, Ken, is this: that you know, I need help with my brokenness. I need somebody outside of myself because I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I just find myself falling back into brokenness so here's here's where I have some good news that I think relates to, to you and where you are with your family, right? And, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm going to say all the good news. The Bible has a word for good news. You may, I don't know if you've heard this word or not, but it's the word gospel. That simply means good news. And here's the good news, man. The good news is that though God had a perfect design for us and we got away from it. And it ended up in brokenness for all of us, right? Um, the good news is that God saw us in that place. He didn't want us to... He didn't want us to have to stay there. So here's what he did. He sent Jesus into our world. And Jesus is God's son. And he came into the world and he lived perfectly by God's design. He never got away from it, man. Never sinned. Never never, never had broken relationships. It, it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so he came into the world to show us what it was like to live by God's design. And, and guess what we did to him? You, I mean, you probably know this being an American and all, but um, we killed him, man. We killed him. We put him on a a cross, and we killed him. I've thought a lot about that as to why we killed him. You know, um, I think we killed him because here's what happens. You know, if if I'm doing good and you're not, or you're doing good and I'm not, I've got a choice. I can change, or I can try to fix myself to to you know to to be like you, or I can get you out of my life because you you make me feel more guilty and more broken. I think we killed him so that because he was just he was making everybody feel their the The guilt of their getting away from god 's design because he never sinned, he never got away from God, I think you know we just had to get rid of him because he made us feel that way, but anyway, but God didn't leave him dead so here's the neat thing. this is the good news, man so God sends Jesus in the world to live by god 's design, and then after we kill him, God raises him from the dead, so he's not dead anymore he's alive and um and i you know I think he raised him from the dead for a couple of reasons: one is to prove right. This is not writing very good. Um, but anyway, um he to prove that that he lived by God's design and he was everything that God promised he was. But I think he, another reason why he did that is to give us hope, to give us hope that even though we, we you know death is the ultimate, you know, end of our brokenness, right? He gave us hope that that maybe, maybe we could uh we could overcome death. Okay. So this is the good news. So the question is, now how do I get from this brokenness? To this good news. And um and so there's two things the Bible says, uh, Kent. One is this, it says I, I have to turn. There's a Bible word for that too, you know what it is? <laughs> yeah, it's the word repent. You know, that's good. we, we, we hear that word a lot, people that like, repent, repent. I mean, it simply means to turn, right? And here's what I mean by turn. Listen, if you could turn away from your brokenness, you would have. If your, if your sister and brother could have turned from their brokenness, they would have, right? But they can't. So I'm not talking about just turning from your brokenness. What I'm talking about is you've got to turn from trying to fix your brokenness yourself. You know, we're all broken, Kent, every one of us. And I've got, I've got to turn from trying to fix my brokenness. And then I turn and I turn to Jesus, and, and the, word sa- the, the word here would be trust. I have to trust that Jesus lived by God's, uh, by God's design perfectly and that He can help me now. He can help me with my own brokenness, okay? And the um, Bible has a word for that, too. It's the word faith. Faith is the word for trust. So, you know, Kent, when I turn from trying to fix myself and I turn to trust in Jesus here's what happens. God does four wonderful things in my life. Number number one, he forgives me. He forgives me. And then the second thing he does, he makes me new. Now, when I say this makes me new, right, people, you you might be thinking, well, you mean I get to start all over again? There was a guy in the the New Testament, he asked, you mean I get to go back in my mom's womb? I think he was being kind of silly. But um, it just means, have you heard the term born again? Okay, you've heard that, right? We use that one a lot. Well, He makes us new. He he gives us a fresh start, right? He forgives us, gives us a fresh start. Here's another neat thing he does is he gives us a helper. He gives us a helper. And the Bible calls that helper his spirit. But remember over here how we're struggling with our brokenness and we always keep falling back into it? Well, he gives us a helper, a helper to help us with our brokenness, to help overcome our brokenness. And the fourth thing he does, and I've already said this, but he gives us a promise. He gives us a promise that we have, that we will rise from the dead, and we have eternal life. Okay, so he gives us this promise of eternal life, and um, and so so here's here's the neat thing, Kent. So when when I begin to, I turn from trusting myself, I begin to trust in Jesus. And by the way, I call, I always call this following Jesus, right? <laughs> following Jesus. So um, so when I begin to follow Jesus, he forgives me, makes me new, gives me a helper, and, uh, and he gives me a promise of eternal life. And here's what happens, Kent. Now I can begin to pursue and recover God's design in my life, right? Follow me? Does that make sense, what I've said so far? Yes, it would. Yeah. Okay. So so as it relates to your brother and sister, I mean, your sister and brother-in-law, is, you know God had a perfect design for their marriage, right? But one or both of them has chosen to, um, you know, not live by God's design, and the result of it is brokenness, all right? Ultimately, is death, death of a relationship, but it's ultimate death, right? Now, God doesn't want that. God, God has made a way. For, for them to get out of brokenness and to begin to recover God's design in their life, right? But all this applies to you as well. It's not just your your sister and brother in law. All this is this this is true for all of us. Does that make sense, Kent? Yeah, sure, definitely. All right. I'm gonna stop there. That's I would go on and I'm gonna tell you what I would do in a minute, okay? So, um so remember the question I've been trying to answer for us? The question I've been trying to answer for us or, or I've been addressing is this. How can I go about helping people begin to follow Jesus? And, and I've said, number one is you have to decide, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. I choose to be a part of that. And then the second thing i said is you've got to pray. Pray for yourself. And pray for others, right? Pray for yourself that God would help you be a good fisher of men. And then pray for others that God would be working in their life. And then third, I said, you prepare yourself and you train yourself. You know, I didn't look up, but I imagine some of you are sitting here thinking, eh, yeah, not for me. That's too-. Like I said a minute ago, however you share your faith is absolutely fine. Just do what do what you do, right? I have found that very, very simple. Because you know what I can say? I can say to anyone shares with me a hurt in their life, a brokenness in their life, I can say, if I've had that brokenness, if I've experienced that brokenness, I can say hey listen, I've experienced that same brokenness in my life, let me tell you something that's helped me, and I can walk them through uh, through that path, right? Or I can say, you know, I've never experienced your brokenness, but I have experienced brokenness in my life. Let me share with you something that's really helped me. And I can and I can walk them through that. So so for me, this is how this is how I am going to be sharing my faith from here on out. And I'm practicing. I practice and I practice on you guys because I I I want to I want to be I want it to come natural. I want it just to flow from me. And so for that to happen It just has to become a part of me. So whatever you're going to use, make it a part of you, all right? So I've said you decide, you pray, you prepare, and here's the the fourth help I give you, and it would be this. You get serious about having as many gospel conversations as you can. Another way of saying that is you decide to present Jesus to others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, you know, I'm not a fan of the, the the two-minute pumping gas and the guys across the gas tank from you. I'm not a fan of that. But if you want to hand them a track, if you want to share your three minutes, I mean, by all means, please do that. What I want to challenge all of you to do is I want to challenge you to talk to your coworkers. I want to challenge you to talk to your neighbors. I want to challenge you to talk to people that you have a relationship with I mean, maybe it's just like Kent and me, you know, we just know each other from work. We're not all that close. We haven't really connected as friends, but we're we're friends enough for him to tell me what's going on in his life. You follow me? And so those are the people that I want you to say, I want to have as many gospel good news conversations as I can with people uh, like that. So often we think, and I've said this already, we think it's the job of the pros to do this right? Like I said earlier, you know, we think it's just the pastor or the gifted evangelist or whatever. It's their job to do this. I've I've told you, I think the nature of the gift that you've been given obligates you. You Follow me? I, I think that's true. The gift that you've been given as a follower of Jesus, eternal life and a relationship with God, man, I think it obligates us to want to share. So it's the Joes and the pros who need to be sharing Jesus, no, it's not just the pros. It's the Joes. It's it's the average Joe. All of us. We all need to be learning to show Jesus. And uh, the elders' job in a church is supposed to be to equip us to uh, to equip us to do ministry. So hopefully, maybe you've been equipped at some uh, level. Not not to do this because all I did was introduce this to you today, right? You'd have to practice this. You'd have to make this yours or whatever whatever's going to be yours. I want to end like this. I want to. I, okay, I'm asking for a friend. Okay, and I'm off my presentation. I've just shared with all of you. Here's here's the question I want to ask you. Where, where on this design? Where do you find? Where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself? And recovering God's design in your life by the power of the Spirit in your life, working in you. Is that where you find yourself, or do you find yourself over here with brokenness that you just can't seem? To get out of. You just keep falling back into it. And you don't make any progress out of out of brokenness. You find yourself there. Or or do you find yourself somewhere in between? You know, and now now I was asking you that personally, and I am asking you that. But you know, if I was talking with Kent, I would have asked him, I would have asked, Kent, where do you find yourself on these circles? And and Kent most likely would have told me he finds himself here or somewhere between between here, especially if, there are, if they've already shared a broken with, if they've already told me they're broken, right, then, then, then they're probably going to say I'm here or I'm somewhere here. And so, so now I'm back asking you, if you find yourself here in brokenness or if you find yourself somewhere over here not having come to a place of, of putting trust in Jesus, what would keep you this morning? What would keep you right now? From, from putting your trust in Jesus. Put, putting your trust in Jesus and beginning to follow Jesus. Because remember, he forgives you your sin. He gives you a new beginning. He gives you a helper in himself, right? He gives you a helper in himself. And he gives you the promise of eternal life. What would keep you right now, this morning, from putting your trust in Jesus? Anything? Anything? How do I move from that brokenness to? How do I move from that brokenness to following Jesus? It's just a matter of asking. Here, here's a prayer that I want to give us this morning, and I, and I, I want to ask you: Would you be willing? Would you be willing this morning to pray a prayer like this? And you know, I, I tell people all the time: It's you know, God's, God's not interested in the specifics of a prayer; He's interested in our heart. Would you pray it to the Lord? Lord, I'm broken. And I get it, that I've gone away from your design for my life. I'm tired of trying to fix myself, so I'm coming to you, and I'm asking you to forgive me, and I'm coming to follow you. Help me now pursue and recover my design for my life. Would you, would you pray such a prayer this morning? If you've never, if you've never been a follower, would you move from, from brokenness to a place of following Jesus? Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.